Teacher says, every time a bell rings, a movie gets rebooted. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Rebooted! The podcast where we are recasting classic movie reboots so Hollywood doesn't have to. This week we're talking about 1946's classic Hollywood film, Hollywood film? Holiday film? Yep. It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, Henry Travers, Thomas Mitchell, and Lionel Barrymore. Um, this this was a this is sort of a in between Thanksgiving, Christmas movie, right? I mean, there's not a lot of Thanksgiving movies. No, that's true. Do you mean like the movies, or just that's how we're doing it? Both. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we declare this a not quite Christmas, not quite Thanksgiving movie. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You you want the moon? Just say the word, and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it, and it all dissolves, see? And the moonbeams that shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! Why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. I gotta say, the sentiment is really nice of like, oh, I'll get you the moon. It's like a cute little moment. And then George is like, and you'll swallow it, <laughs> which feels a little threatening. Well, I will shoot out of your skin <laughs> and I'll watch. I'm Buffalo Bill. <laughs> Uh, he probably said that because then they thought the moon was made out of cheese. And so he thought, <laughs> I'll bring it to you and you can eat it. Is this movie that old? Oh, my God. It kind of <laughs> is. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Rebooted. Uh, it is, I got to say, it is the holiday season. <laughs> I think, you know, Halloween is come and gone. Thanksgiving is, is it's it's creeping up. Um you know, and I Thanksgiving is actually my favorite holiday, and I wish there was oh. a more Thanksgiving specific movie uh-huh. to buttress the onslaught of Christmas that is coming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, apparently not. So uh, we are doing It's a Wonderful Life. I don't remember how to introduce this podcast very well. Um, <laughs> that's very clear. My brain is mush. Welcome, everyone, to Rebooted. I'm Brian Flynn, and with me, as always, is Kenneth Trent. And. My dog is also here with us. He's looking concerned about our ideas for rebooting this movie, which is what we do every week. Uh, We'll take a classic Hollywood film and recast it as if it was to be remade today uh, in 2021. Not a lot of 2021 left. So let's say 2022. Oh, okay. We're Um, just giving up. Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, is anyone really trying their hardest these days? I don't think so. (laughs) So, um... Yeah, before we get into this movie, I think we have some reboot news to talk about. Uh, Let's see. The Double Deuce back in business. MGM ramps up Roadhouse reboot with Jake Gyllenhaal and Doug Lyman circling. This is an article that came from Deadline, I think, last week. Um, And it it should have given me the excuse to actually watch Roadhouse. Mm -hmm. I've never seen. Good thing we are safe in this room right now from all of the people screaming at us, like, how have we not watched the Swayze classic Roadhouse? Uh, According to Deadline, um, 
The Double Deuce may finally be reopening its doors. So sources tell Deadline that MGM's Roadhouse remake is gaining momentum with Jake Gyllenhaal in Toxic Star and Doug Liman in Toxic Direct. Uh, Doug Liman, famous for such movies as Edge of Tomorrow and what was that movie? Oh, Chaos Walking. Did you watch that one? Chaos Walking. Tom Holland, Daisy Ridley. No. No. <laughs> Uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal, we all know, is Taylor Swift's most famous ex. Right now he is, I guess. Um, when this would go into production is still TBD as Gyllenhaal is about to shoot Guy Ritchie's The Interpreter and Lyman is currently prepping his Everest pick. Though insiders add that execs are already meeting with writers to rewrite a previous draft and view the film as a high priority. Uh, okay, so not a lot. Just a star and a director, which is enough to get pretty much any movie made. Um, what do we think about a Roadhouse? I think it would film? be fun if for every like weird 80s, 90s action movie remake we're going to get, if they did something, because I feel like they're always thinking like, oh, we want something new, but also the same because people love the old movies. I feel like, and I'm not just saying this. I feel like they should just let women write the movies. Because here's the thing. I've never seen Roadhouse, but I love Patrick Swayze. I'm not trying to create a, like, I don't think any woman anywhere is trying to create a movie that isn't going to be about this, like, hot guy Roadhouse bouncer. But through the female gaze, could be interesting. I, I That's actually a really great point. I, I don't want to get too far off the topic, but I was watching a, uh, a certain Michael Douglas uh 80s movie oh god no <laughs> god what is it called hard rain that it, there is a movie he's in called hard rain i can see the poster in my head uh black rain we have to do this movie on this podcast okay. but um uh yeah so when you're when you're just talking about like remaking all these 80 movies with like a female uh director behind the behind the camera i i gotta say i think you're absolutely right because like a lot of these movies are insane they're insane and i know like a little bit about roadhouse to know that like there's a lot of like crotch kicks a lot of roundhouse kicks a lot Ooh. of just like sorry we're closed well then what are all these people doing here drinking and having a good time well that's why we're here you're too stupid to have a good time like, I think they assume that, like, women see everything as, like, soft. But, like, I just don't think they'd understand how cool they'd look with, like, women writing and directing stories about men. Like, like choosing to let, I think a lot of female directors, like, choose to let men have the duality of hardness and softness as opposed to just complete hardness. Because I think a yeah. lot, especially in the 80s and 90s, it was, like... We ain't no, we ain't no sissies here. Right. We the tough guys. Case in point, American Psycho. Yes. If that movie had been directed by a man, it would not have been as good. Oh, 100%. I, I, I 100% believe that. Um, So I think that's a really interesting tech. Here's the thing. We already got Dougie Boy here. So I, I unfortunately think Roadhouse is spoken for in terms of. Uh, yeah. Uh, It's going to be kind of a hard action possibly hard action movie what do we have left like of these like big i'm telling you black rain <laughs> you go home and watch black rain with michael douglas and andy garcia holy shit oh my gosh that movie andy needs garcia. a woman to like really really fix that movie 
Um, but I promise I will watch. I will watch the original Roadhouse. Yes, for sure. And I, then see this. Yes. Um, what's next? What do we got here? Okay. Oh no! <laughs> oh, no! What we have next, I think, is just a rumor, okay. but is worth talking about. Um, following Richard Donner's passing, Lethal Weapon Five has lined up a familiar face to direct. I feel like that's a little bit misleading because what happened is Mel Gibson was giving an interview um, at an event in London and apparently said that Richard Donner essentially told him, if I die before this happens, you have to direct this movie. And then he's essentially like, so I'm going to be doing it. Here's the thing. I keep seeing his name pop up very recently. Mm -hmm. And I just got to say, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? I know. I know. I know. I know. Do you remember a few years ago when like Jodie Foster won an Oscar and she went up there and was just like, my boy Mel. And we were like, what are you doing? (laughs) And RDJ was like, yeah, it's like the three of us. Like we were like, what is going on here? I here I'm curious for ugh, a lot of things. Yeah. The obvious choice to direct Die Hard 5 is Shane Black, the man who wrote Die Hard. Die Hard? Lethal, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Again, guys, I took a real long nap today. <laughs> but like, you know, why why isn't Shane Black the man who created these characters a director in his own right, a very good director in his own right, mm-hmm. directing the next lethal weapon like what it's just i think there's just this big thing i don't seem to understand about how this business works is the idea of to what degree can you do something that will permanently mess up your career versus to what degree can you do something that people will forget about question mark in how long has it been? Eight years, maybe? Yeah. Eight or ten? I think the sad truth is, if it's racism, there is a window. Mm. Because, and I'm not trying to make light of this, but yeah. if there was another, let's just say another person that wasn't Mel Gibson that did something, you know, in the light of day that was clearly racist, prejudiced, mm-hmm. bigoted, there is a reality where that person could go away do the work, come back, apologize, and we would we would we would say fine. You get one, all right, fine. But like, don't like you're 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 like you're you're in a thin you got yeah, thin yeah, room, yeah. right? You were you are walking a very tight rope. I think things like sexual misconduct is an absolute like you're mm-hmm. done. So, but even that, like, didn't we just did we talk about this? Who did I talk to this? Some, like Kevin Spacey is going to uh, make a yeah. movie. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. It. Well, I mean, in general, I think, because I still get shocked when like, I see Casey Affleck's name attached to things and people are like, oh, it's going to be incredible. And I'm like, this guy? <laughs> like, it just like it still feels very fresh to me. And so I guess I just don't understand that there is still perceived star power there. 
when, yeah, like I think I would just, I would like to see, I would like to see evidence of the work. I would like to see intentionality. Like maybe Mel Gibson him. has like fully given himself into, like, I don't know though. All, for all I know, he is still the most, he will still say anti-Semitic things out loud to anyone. Yeah. For all I know. Yeah. So... I guess I'm just confused about why stuff like this continues to happen when we do have the power to be like, you know what? This is no longer your franchise. We got to take a different direction. <laughs> Goodbye. No, it's also I, I, I have so many things in my brain now, but like it's just a shame at like how much how much of a beloved star he used to be. Yeah. And like knowing what I know about how much he hates certain people. Mm hmm. It's absolutely disgusting that we're even giving this man an interview. He's still like acting, right? Yeah. Like he still is popping up in like VOD action movies. Yeah. And he was in that like um it was it was like that Mark Wahlberg Christmas movie, right? Like yeah. he's his dad. I can't I actually can't yeah. remember what that was about. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it just feels wrong because I honestly, I honestly, I don't know. There might be people out there who are like, what did he do? Just if in case you're listening and you're that person, just so you know, he had a very highly passed around like this was not this was something that was said in public, a very exposed anti-Semitic rant, which leads you to believe if people say stuff like this and they yeah. know it's going to get out, what do you say in private? But it's so it's so ugly. It's that thing of like, because here's the thing. I, and I've heard a lot of people say this. I used to love The Cosby Show and honestly loved Bill Cosby's stand-up. Oh, God. I didn't know where we were going. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's the thing where like currently I can't just like, even if I went back to watch old episodes of The Cosby Show, I don't think I could watch it just like, ugh, these were the good old days. Because it's like all that stuff was happening during this time. So I'm not just looking at Mel Gibson like you you don't deserve another chance or like you mm. don't what i'm saying is i ha now have this memory of you that is always gonna live as like well that's the guy who whatever was of happening <laughs> you said of you i just want to be very clear which which problematic man you were referring to for the audience i just thing. see a man and my eyes go red <laughs> no like when i look at mel gibson i would be like I still can't not see you as the person who did yeah. this. And I don't know what you've been doing in between. I don't know how you yeah. have tried to redeem yourself or what has changed in your heart or your mind. I don't know. And so that's one of those things where I'm like, I just like, I can't get on board with this because I'm more than open to giving people chances. But when you don't like the fact that it's just like, well, it's been long enough. Like that's what it feels like. And that's so unfortunate. Yeah. So maybe we don't do this. Yeah. Maybe we don't do this. Maybe Laura Schuler Donner, Richard Donner's ex-wife or widow, I, I'm not, I wasn't sure what their relationship status at the <laughs> time of his passing, should step in and be like, hey, no, no thanks. He never said that. Yeah. No thanks, Mel. We're No, we're going to just move on. Better yet, let's just stop reboots before they happen. Let's just have fresh ideas. Let's pivot this podcast. <laughs> Stop remaking things, guys. I honestly like 
we've passed enough time has passed between the last lethal weapon movie where you could just make a movie that is pretty much lethal weapon mm -hmm. and just call it something the different. nice guys was kind of a lethal weapon movie yeah just make something new i say the same thing this is a totally different tangent but i say the same thing about superhero movies all the time i'm like make up new superheroes this this reboot this movie reboot that we're about to do was somewhat difficult for me and and <gasps> maybe maybe that speaks to the idea that rebooting movies is exhausting okay <laughs> um so you know unless you have more to talk about lethal weapon no you ready to talk about this movie yeah let's do it guys this is our reboot of it's a wonderful life hey little fella you worry me, you know. You 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 got some place to sleep? No. You don't. Huh? Well, you you got any money? No. No wonder you jumped in the river. I jumped in the river to save you, so I could get my wings. Uh oh. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time you hear a bell rings, it means that some angel's just got his wings. Uh, I think maybe you better not mention uh, getting your wings around here. But Why? Don't they believe in angels? I... Yeah, I believe. Oh, why should they be surprised when they see one? Well, uh, he never grew up. He's... Uh, how old are you anyway, Clarence? 293. Uh, next May. I, I was kind of like, I like this movie, but I was sort of, as I was watching it and reading about it, I was sort of like, is this a good movie or is this just like something NBC played on repeat for the last hundred years? Mm -hmm. And we, we now are like, it's a classic. I think it's a good movie, but I can't tell because it's like, I feel like I, before I was even born, I was like told to like this movie. <laughs> But you know what I mean? It's like that thing where like if you listen to a song like mm -hmm. 83 times, it like immediately like n no matter what song it is, you like the song because you're you've just like been tortured into embracing it. Like, OK, your mind is just like, well, I'd, I'd rather just enjoy it than like fight how bad it is. <laughs> it's a it's a defense mechanism. It's a yeah, it's just because like I'm reading about this, like this movie was a flop. Mm -hmm. This movie was like critically not well received. Yeah. The director, Frank Capra, was like, oh, I've made a huge bomb and have wasted millions of dollars. <laughs> but it it it's like everlasting. It's like it's made its way into some of the like top movie lists and not like bottom hundreds. It's like top 10 best movies yeah. of all time. So I just I think it's just something I was thinking about, like, why do we like this movie? I will admit, I did cry at the end of this movie. Yeah. It's, maybe I'm just in a place. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> the message of this movie is evergreen. Like, there is something in this movie that, like, clicks in your brain somewhere through the process of, uh, Maybe like halfway through George, like really realizing that he no longer exists. And I think that quick transition that happens, which it is very quick, 
Clarence is literally like, okay, great. You were never born. And then next thing you know, he's back. But I think there's something that like clicks in your brain that it's like, this happens so swiftly and is so affecting that like, you can't help but be emotional at the end. Like, yeah. Like, cause you see, and that's another thing you see him fall repeatedly like it starts with george as this like super aspirational kid he just knows he wants to travel and build things and like such high hopes and has ended up being the responsible son and brother who is going to take care of everything while everybody else kind of like flourishes yeah yeah and he is and so you see him consistently reach a new low to the point where when you see his friends show up for him at the end there's just something about being like well yeah people would have given their arms to george if they needed it but it's difficult for him to see that because he's like which also it's a big like kick i think at the end too for sam to just be like and i'm giving you twenty five thousand dollars because it's like geez yeah we get it you're rich that's the one part well first of all yeah that was the one part where i was just like just give sam some money and invest some stocks and like you'll you'll do okay like he he has your best interest at heart like for some reason they just didn't give him any capital and they just never invested in plastic like yeah this story is also really strange because I I think I had a very hard time reimagining this mm-hmm. as a modern story because I in my head I felt like the cringe of the of the <laughs> modern day movie executive like watching this movie right. and being like Clarence has to be here by page 20. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like the rest of this movie has to be um George living a life where he was never born and experiencing yeah. the horror of his life but like no one wants to live that like we kind of got that in nick cage's the family man which is like the opposite oh, right oh right he you know but like <laughs> that at least is like you're learning yeah. a lesson of like what you missed out on mm-hmm. we cannot watch a movie where george bailey runs around pottersville and is like seeing all of this the horror. So, like, just on a structure point of view, like, this movie could never be made the way it is now because, right. like... Which I would say for me, that's my biggest note, is I would like to spend just a little more time in the space where George doesn't exist. Not... Because I think what's so effective is that we do spend enough time with him in his growth process to just see how miserable he is. And ultimately, like, I want there to be more, I think, of a process of him, like, disbelieving... And then coming to terms and then like really seeing what the world is like when like a single person is like removed from the narrative of this little town. Because like even like it's a huge blow to be like you weren't there to save your brother. So he just died. He just died. Like none of the other kids would have saved him. (laughs) (laughs) No other. No, none of the other 20 children that were skating that day had the. the wherewithal they weren't his brother so they just ran away right they were all cowards (laughs) neighborhood it was it was henry and the neighborhood cowards uh sledding that day yeah i i agree like it's hard because and and you know jimmy stewart the i mean he 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 is who he is because of you know his capability to make you kind of feel this performance it's hard to sacrifice the first hour and 20 
you know, or the first 40 minutes of what we are experiencing of George's life. Like mm-hmm. we literally live his entire life. Yeah. And then go, well, what are we going to take out? You know, like. Yeah. So I didn't know how to. I also didn't know how to bring this sort of story of like. It's a man who's constantly trying to fight the billionaire class and help his neighbors. Like the more I thought yeah. of the modern version, the more it became thematically the French Re- revolution. Of like <laughs> the people of Bedford Falls rising up and killing Mr. Potter, which they did on a, like a classic SNL sketch with like Dana Carvey and Phil what? Hartman, where they oh. like shoot the final end of the movie where they go to Mr. Potter's played by John Lovitz. And they just like good <laughs> style beat the shit out of him. Now you say where you are, George Bailey. You're in enough trouble already. You made one mistake, Mr. Potter. You double-crossed me and you left me alive. Now wait just a second. I'll give you the money back. I don't want the money. I want a piece of you, Potter. Why? I, I will say I would have enjoyed a an epilogue to the movie in which we just find out that Mr. Potter has gone to jail or something yeah. because he is a criminal. Yeah. He has stolen money a from- A significant amount of money. Yes. And is uh, on top of just being like a curmudgeonly bad guy, like he committed a crime. And so there's so much in me that's like, we end on such a happy note and I really just want Mr. Potter to get his due. I, I thought the bodyguard, and I've seen this before, but for some reason I remembered it. Maybe I just wanted to fill in that gap, but I mm-hmm. thought Potter's bodyguard shows up with the money. And is like the old man yeah. fucking had it, but nope. Everyone just starts singing and it, like. Honestly, that would be that would be like the gritty gritty reboot. Is the bodyguard shows up? He's murdered his boss. Oh yeah, and he wants to give the money back. And now now he's like, you you ever need anything? <laughs> I got you. And then George becomes like the head of the <laughs> Casa Nostra, like the mafia family. Um, oh man, that would be phenomenal. So I guess we'll just get into it. I, I think my take on this remake is more of like a Broadway play revival than like a a modern remake. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess what that, what I mean is like, I'm, I'm coming for great performers. Okay. I'm not focused on like, what is Bedford Falls twenty. 22 right. because i know it's kind of sad because i lived there you know what i mean yeah. like um so that's what that was what i what i was thinking um <clears throat> here's another thing about jimmy stewart i wanted to ask you if you felt the same way did you feel like weird nick cage vibes from him <laughs> how do you mean i i mean fuck it yeah i enjoy uh, the Family Man, which is directed by one of the worst fucking people. It was a Brett Ratner joint, and I know, fuck that guy. But, like, I love that movie. I think that's a great Christmas movie. But, like, I kept, like, watching this movie being like, I understand why they cast Nick Cage in a Christmas movie, because... Well, Jimmy Stewart. Well, no, I oh, understand why. in The why. Family Man. Yeah, oh, okay. because Jimmy Stewart, I just kept thinking, like, Nick Cage could have done this. You know, like, mm. I don't know why, but maybe, maybe I was just alone in that. I mean... What's fascinating, I think, in reading through the trivia, which there's like a lot of trivia that probably isn't even true about this movie in the trivia on IMDb, but I feel like there were just constant reminders that this was, I think, like 
Jimmy Stewart's first movie back after he had went to fight in World War II. And so there were lots of things that coming back, it was like, oh, this is my first time doing this again. And this is my first like, and in light of that, I'm like, he really gives an incredible performance. But also there's little pieces where I'm like, if he's doing like a little too much, Mm. there's like a part of me that's like, well, (laughs) I mean, he probably saw some stuff. So (laughs) maybe, maybe we're just good on kind of letting him, letting him run with it. Listen to me. Do you have any secret hiding place here in the house? Someplace you would have, someplace you hide the money. I've come over the whole house, even in rooms that have been locked since I lost Laura. Listen, listen to me. Think. Think. I can't think, think anymore, George. I can't think anymore. It hurts. Where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? Do you realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Okay. Yeah. Who did I pick? Here's a weird. Here's a weird pick. And I'm I'm sure most listeners have no idea who this person is. I picked Hamish Linklater, who has recently appeared in the how the horror TV smash hit Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in The Big Short. He's he's just sort of. I f- I feel like he's like an actor that people who live in New York. No. Oh yeah, like casting directors yeah. are all into Hamish Linklater yeah. for sure. I think maybe he's moved out here since, but um, that's who I picked. I just I don't know why. I I I think I just saw him as sort of. I'm starting with George at the end of his rope mm-hmm. and moving backwards, and okay. I feel like the suicidal George, the George who's like you know. I mean, it was it was a horrible scene where he's like screaming at his family and he's like, you know, throwing his uncle around. And it's just like an ugly, ugly scene. Yeah. But, you know, I think that balancing that kind of part of George with the compassionate, heroic, charitable, altruistic George Mm -hmm. is really hard to do. And I think maybe I was just sort of tired of seeing a lot of A-list celebrities. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick this guy because he definitely has the range and I can see him going to very dark places. And also even in the brightest, like cheerful moments, be like, you could and like sense how much he missed on his life. Mm-hmm. Like his fucking brother won the national, like the congressional medal of honor. Yeah. Like, fuck. Okay, cool. And he couldn't go. And because he couldn't his go to ear college. Was messed up. Yeah. yeah. He couldn't do anything. He can do anything. At mm-hmm. some point I was just like, you know what, George? Just go. Like at, at some point I'm like, I'm sorry <laughs> your dad your died. Just go. go. Just fucking leave. I I mean, I feel like of course he's on your mind. Cause he's so I didn't love Midnight Mass on the whole, but in a way, it is like an audition piece for every one of the actors in it because they all give several monologues and the i think one of the people that shines through in that show Mm -hmm. is him because it's one of those things where it's like maybe i've seen this guy in bit parts but now he's like the main antagonist of this show and kind of like experiencing him as an actor i'm like oh yeah 100 percent. like now we're like in a way, it's like, well, yeah, now we see what, like, people who audition theater actors see is, yeah. like, these, like, very emotional monologues of 
I also want to be clear, like, my actor will not be playing the 18-year-old version of himself. Right. Like, we can get somebody else to play think, teenage I think we George can, Bailey. I think we can. I'm sure Nat Wolf is around. You know what I mean? I'm sure we could grow <laughs> this George in, into more of, like, the adult. Um, um I think that's a great choice. I think you. I my perspective on him, I think, was maybe a little backwards because from what you described because I really wanted to pick someone who was just as likable as possible because mm. I think at the end of the day when we see people showing up for George we think like of course like he is the guy who has at his own detriment showed up for everybody else when they needed it and that's just the kind of guy he is like he he has this night where it just really feels like everything's impossible and he really hits that dark night of the soul but other than that he is the optimist who's like well once we're finished with this we're gonna tr we're gonna do this and i'm gonna be able to like provide you with this or do go see this get my education mm -hmm. like it never works out so I think I was just focused more on like, who is that likable person that like, the more we see them encounter roadblocks, the more we're going to be like, oh man, like somebody give this man a break. Um, even though sometimes he is a little suspicious. I got suspicious of little George when Mary placed an order at the like soda shop he worked at and he was like, do you want coconut? And she was like, no. And he proceeds to give her coconut. He was like, what are you, dumb? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, what are you, what? He, he almost like wanted to slap her across it the head. Was, do you know where they're from? <laughs> it was so insane. They're from Tahiti, you dumb idiot. She literally is like, yeah, no thanks. And he hands her chocolate well, ice cream with coconut on it. Counterpoint. She then spends the rest of their lives making him live in a house that he loathes. They're married. <laughs> That's not a solo knows, decision. <laughs> she knows he hates that house. And yet she's like, but you're going to buy it from me, right? And he's like, all right, Mary, I'll do what you want. I can't believe you're blaming this on Mary. Come on. I mean, like, they could, they could. They, Mary, who takes care of their four children. I'm not saying <laughs> that she's not a good mom. What I'm saying is Mary, maybe. George would, ha would like a say in where the family lives. Maybe there's another house in Bedford Falls. I mean, you literally build houses. Just build your own house. And that's the thing, too. Mary is single-handedly restoring this house. Sure, yeah. But she can't <laughs> fix the banister post. You know what I mean? Like, that thing's keep popping off. I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm just saying, like. I'm suspicious of this <laughs> attitude. I do not like what I, I am hearing. it's a two-way street with both of them. That's all I'm saying. I just think, like, she, she's a child, and so she doesn't know. But, like, she should have seen that as, like, a slight red flag of, like, oh, he's going to tell me what I want? Watch out. But instead, she was, like. She leans into his his busted ear and is like, I'm going to love you forever. <laughs> I mean, if you want to count red flags, he does leave her naked in a bush. Uh, yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, he he did get some traumatic news, but, you know, he could have. I mean, he hands her the robe, but. He throws it over the bush and she <laughs> takes care of it herself. Anyways. Okay. So my very likable person that I picked to be George Bailey is Brian Tyree Henry. Dude, I think. what the Okay. I think he is incredible in everything, and I can't not like I almost him. picked him. <gasps> <laughs> but you did it. I guess, I mean, yeah. There's no bonus points for almost, but that, yes, uh, absolutely. You know why I liked him? Other than the fact that he's, like, an amazing actor. Mm -hmm. um, 
he he to me he seems like someone that like the community would know you know what i mean like yeah. that to me is george bailey like brian tyree henry um walking down the street you just imagine everyone is saying hi to this person yeah that to me is george bailey like yes i i hmm and I'll say this, like, I think as far as like updating this movie goes, I don't think you actually have to change a lot of like what they're getting at because I would just lean into the sort of like, quote unquote, like cheesy Christmas movie of it all. Yeah. Like George Bailey is a guy who lives in a small town and has big aspirations, but is stuck with a family business that he was, that is their legacy. And he was the only person who could do it. And like, it's. It's very much like Hallmark Christmas movie of like, you know, there's people named Joy and Noel in this town, but like, it's, I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want it to be something different. Just maybe not. I mean, the financial implications of the building and loan, I think is a very heavy, like we would not do that today. It would turn into, speaking of the big short, it would turn into the big short plus Christmas. Like, yeah. Um, that's a great pick, and I and I I'm <clears throat> I'm bummed I didn't go with it because my instinct said to, but I think I got scared off because of who I picked for Mary, <gasps> which is a dumb reason, uh, mm. and a, and a, and I'll say it when it's my turn. But um, should we move on to Mary, played by Donna Reed? Sure. Um, I also was kind of like I want to pick somebody who's incredibly likable because when they go through her accomplishments, she is like the first lady of the town, mm -hmm. like organizing um, charitable things. She raises her kids. She's restoring her home. Like she's doing all of these things and just like always with a smile on her face, which I know is like the trope of like literal, it's literally Donna Reed being like the happy homemaker. But um, she also just, she seems like a cool girl. <laughs> nice about your brother Harry and Ruth, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, that's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about. Huh? No, no, marriage is all right for Harry and Marty and Sam and you. Mary, Mary, who's down there with you? It's George Bailey, Mother. George Bailey? What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? Not a thing. I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, mother. And I didn't like the part. I mean, I take it. I'll say this. It's kind of my favorite part because I hate it. But the part where um, you find out th that George not existing means that Mary is an old maid. Oh, that was, I was just about to bring how bring that up. How the dark universe version of Mary is like a single woman. Right, like it's a soulmate situation where it's like, oh, if you had never been born, she would she's have a, been without. She's she's an old she's she's a she's a mid 30s woman <laughs> who works at the library. She wears glasses. Oh, and a hat. And, a and her hat. hair is in a bun. Oh, and she's <laughs> dumpy. <laughs> So strange. You know good and well Mary would have married Sam Wainwright. She would be doing better than she is now. <laughs> I just imagining like, I, I don't know if, uh, I would love to be a librarian. I think that would be oh, a yeah. dope job. Noble, noble job. Yeah. 
You're they're the great. keepers of history. I'd be like, you're doing great, Mary. Yeah. Kicking ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many people, first of all, so many people. Just because George isn't there doesn't mean Mary is a completely different human right. being. She's still wearing that cute little dress to the graduation party, and she is getting picked up yeah. for sure. This is making me wonder <laughs> that, like, George and Mary are weirdos. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> none of that made sense. Yeah. Um, I, I would have thought, like, you know. I think maybe maybe th is this version better? Like she marries the wrong person and is like having a horrible time, like has a horrible life or something. Like is I that? I think that's more reasonable, especially. And I think that's what's so interesting about if they had been like, oh, she like she married who you thought she was going to marry. And now she's off living this. <laughs> she's the queen of the plastic fortune. <laughs> That there is something interesting to be like, she has all the money in the world in her life now, but she's so unhappy. Yeah. Whereas like, I'm, he probably thinks like, I like, he's mad at his family as a reaction, I think, from being like, I have given you guys like a, a bad life. Yeah. Like he doesn't feel proud of what he has. And so I think there's something special about that being the point of like, yeah, she could have had a lot of different things, but she loves her life with you. Yeah. I almost pitched an idea that is straight out of The Family Man, so okay. I gotta get this movie out of my system. I'm just gonna go and watch it because... I have a friend who literally got so excited to show me The Family Man because I hadn't seen it when it came mm -hmm. out. And we watched it and she was having like a whole... Because she loves this movie. And I, at the end of it, was just like, I don't get it. I like, think it's I great. was not a fan. Anyway. Um, so my very likable Mary Bailey is Elizabeth Olsen. I almost picked. <laughs> you got to get out of your head, Brian. Uh, no, but here's, okay, so this is who I picked. I picked Lauren Ridloff, recently seen in Eternals, and mm -hmm. I've known her uh, since my days on Walking Dead. But I, I, I wanted to pick a Mary that I thought would represent the ultimate optimist. Mm. And I really felt like that was Lauren Ridloff. And I got scared because I was like, well, I can't cast two people in Eternals for this thing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that's why I, oh, man, that's, oh, you're right, though. You were right. I should have just held on to my, oh, well, fuck it. I still like my cast. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight you on that one. I, I, I think that's a very good choice. Yeah. They're both great. I had never seen, I think, Lauren Ridloff in anything before Eternals, but I thought she was fantastic. Mm. Do you think she wouldn't be pissed about her honeymoon? <sighs> A stroke of bad luck that the Great Depression, like Black Tuesday, happens on her. First of all, who's getting married on a Tuesday? It was also it was also during a time where it was like you just kind of got married, right? Like you signed a paper. There's and then nothing you went like to a bar. like yeah. they celebrate them, but not like in this like massive, yeah, elaborate wedding way. Do you think that she? I mean, it is a wonderful character moment where she's like, "Come home to this rickety old house that your friends and I have decorated to look like you know a faraway Parisian." It was Parisian or Tahitian sort of like. Mm -hmm. thing and i don't care about going to new york or going to the bahamas i care about being with you and i care about having married a man who's the most selfless person i know yeah but i do feel like deep down 
this is what I don't get about Mary is like deep down, all she wanted was to stay in Bedford Falls. Like mm-hmm. that makes no sense to me. There, there has to have been a part of her that would just be like, you know what? My husband, George, has always wanted to travel. Let's go to Toronto. Let's go to Montreal. Like, let's. But I think deep down what Mary wanted was just George. Like, I think she would have went on adventures with him to be with him. Wait, say that again? You do think that she. I think what she wants deep down is to be with George. And so, like, she would go with him. I mean, I think she would want eventually a stable life with a home and children and Mm -hmm. all all of the things. But I think there is a part of her that like would have went on a honeymoon that lasted for two years. This movie posits that they never did anything. Yeah. Which to me is insane. Right. Because like, and that's the thing is like, it isn't Mary's movie, so we don't know but like there's probably a part of her that like she's she's upset in general because it's 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 the pandemic of it all where it's like I totally understand why I can't take this trip, have this party, do this thing, but I'm pissed about it cuz like the circumstances suck. Like my husband has to stay here and make sense of his family's business, which he doesn't want to do, I don't want to do, but we kind of just have to deal with it. But I don't think she's like, she like resents George in any way. I think she's the type of person who is like, I've made the best of like what we've created. And, but I think given the chance, yeah, they, their marriage would have looked totally different if they were able to kind of like follow his dream. But like, we we also don't see her inner life of like, well, this is what me as a person what i really that's want that's true we never really understand what mary wants other than she wants george she wants the house mm-hmm. and she wants to be and that's her quote-unquote dream again different time i'm just sort of like i think eventually should be like you know before the kids we we gotta go to hawaii like <laughs> not not having a honeymoon right um okay let's move on to Clarence, played by Clarence Oddbody. It was strange that they gave him the last name, but I thought that was pretty great. Played by Henry Travers. Um, literally only in like 10 minutes of this movie. Yeah, but so important. So important. Um, I loved how he has like old underwear. <laughs> yes, like, he's wearing guy like a dressing just, gown. Like, just staring at him like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? Well, he does say at the beginning, like when he finds out where he's going, he's like, oh, what are the fashions of this time? Mm-hmm. Like, and they were like, sit down. You got to watch about this guy's life before you start thinking about your clothes. <laughs> dumb, dumb. Um, not much to, I mean, I mean, he's an angel, right? A force of pure good. Mm-hmm. Um, I did love him in the bar. I think the bar scene in Clarence would have, in 2022, would be a lot longer. It'd be like, we got to get Clarence in some mischief here yeah, in this yeah, bar. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I want a mulled wine. Um, <laughs> it was cute. Whose turn is it? I think it's my turn. Um, this is a weird. Maybe this is a weird pick. I ended up picking William H Macy. Oh, interesting. I haven't heard from William yeah. H in a long time, other than the fact that his wife went to jail for trying to get their kid into college. Oh yeah, I forget that they're together. Yeesh. Yeah, I just miss, I miss him. Anyways, so who did you pick for your Clarence? I went in a different direction with my Clarence because I think the joy of Clarence is that he's a little wacky. He doesn't seem to have a ton of like power in 
this world. Like he is able to be like, okay, George, like this is the lesson I'm here to teach you. You're no longer, you no longer exist. But other than that and the disappearing, like it's not like he has a lot of like command over anything. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be more interesting if he were more of like a, I don't know, if whimsical is the right word, but more of this like magical, whimsical character that is able to... Like an imp? No, more like more like um like one of the ghosts in a christmas carol who's able mm. to sort of like walk them through this and is like always there to help like illuminate the situation instead of just like popping up to be like yeah <laughs> your brother died nobody was there to save it like i just kind of i think it would be more fun and effective if it's somebody that like we like the chemistry between these two people and it's able to like we're able to like lean into some of those darker moments by being like, oh, that's kind of cute and funny, and uh -huh. then and really sad. I don't know. That's a that's a weird line to draw, but um, I picked Donald Glover for my class. Oh, okay. Because I think that would be I think he has this way about him that it would be so fun to see him sort of like pop up as this like you don't know what I am. I'm an I am like a, a being of the heavens like kind of character and I mean we already know that he oh I just realized Brian little, Tyree Henry yeah have a little chemistry Atlanta together reunion. yeah so I there was just something about this combo that I was like this is the type of movie I would want to see this be just like a completely different dynamic but I I don't know it's a thought it's a thought I don't hate it it was funny as like but my biggest worry is that, like, he would steal every scene he's in, which isn't a bad thing. It's just, yeah. like... If he's in, like, 15 minutes of the movie, don't care. Right. But that's the thing is, like, the studio notes are going to be like, we need more Donald. We need him running around. Let's have him with joy, like, having a thing with joy. It's like, no. Just these are fucking ghosts. <laughs> like, let's leave it alone. It is interesting, though. You could always toss at him, like, I don't know, let him, like, curate the soundtrack or some business. <laughs> That's a thing people do, right? As a, as a performer, I think it's a really great idea. There's no reason why Clarence has to be an old, old fuddy-duddy. I, I just sort of liked it because in my, in my view, the youth are not going to listen to like the elderly telling them like hey mm -hmm. you know relax like your life's not that bad like you gotta see it from a new perspective <laughs> they're gonna be like, get the hey, fuck away from me old your man your life is you need to stop complaining if donald glover came to me and is just like hey man your life's okay i'd be like thanks donald you're right yeah so but i mean he's a great performer so yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say no to that <laughs> so we move on to uncle billy played by thomas mitchell Poor Uncle Billy. I mean, how did this man have anything to do with people's finances? Oh, I mean, it def. I, here's the thing: it's a family business. Everybody knows Uncle Billy gets a little, gets a little in the sauce. Here's gets the a thing: a little elderly. There are way more irresponsible bankers in the world than Uncle Billy. That's so. true. Uh, good morning, Mr. Bailey. Good morning, Horace. I guess you forgot something. Huh? You forgot something. What? Well, aren't you going to make a deposit? Oh, sure, sure I am. <laughs> well, then it's usually customary to bring the money with you. Huh? Oh, shucks. <laughs> I, I, 
Uh, how about that finger there? Anyway. Poor Uncle Billy. Yo, um, what, uh, you, I think it's your turn, actually. Oh, yeah, I think as far as my, like, sort of pitch for the rebooting of it goes, like, I just see Uncle Billy as the elder family member who still has a stake in this business, who still, like, he's, it's that thing where it's like, well, he's always been reliable until this point. Yeah. And it happens to be a really bad mistake. And... Honestly, I'm just concerned for him in general because they retrace his steps and there's no point is he like, and then I stopped here and I talked to Mr. Potter. He has no recollection. I I don't, to me, it was like, this is onset dementia. Like, this is. (laughs) It's just happening. Yeah, He's a late 60s, early 70s, elderly man. Um, So I don't fault him for that. Who'd you pick? Um, I picked Lawrence Fishburne. Whoa, okay. Not the vibe I was expecting, but... Really? Because Lawrence Fishburne to me is always going to be like kind of Morpheus, but he's now the grandfather on Blackish, so sorry to my friends who write on Blackish, but maybe I should have watched that show a little (laughs) bit closer. But that's I, I think that's where I pull him from, is I'm like, he's fun as the, like, grandpa character doling out wit and wisdom... Mm -hmm. Um, but I can see him also selling that ultimately that point of like deep, deep regret that like he knows he's ruined something. Yeah. But at the same time, like if it is like if you play up more the idea that he is like sinking into Alzheimer's, like then you're like (laughs) then you're like you feel so sorry for him because like he can't adequately explain what's happening. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm Did not, I make this movie so sad? No, I'm, I'm not laughing at the Alzheimer's pitch, but I, I just it, I got, rem- I just remember that he plays like the Pigeon King in the John Wick movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's just like the Pigeon King. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think Lawrence Fishburne just as a performer is, uh, I mean. Yeah, he's stellar. I think, I think the thing I can't get over is like. Has he ever played an incompetent person? That's the thing where I'm just like. Do you think Uncle Billy is incompetent? Yeah. (laughs) Wildly, wildly incompetent. Any man or woman who owns that many animals is not Uh. like. No. Like, uh uh-uh. There's probably a lot of dead cats in that house. You know what I mean? Like, it's probably a lot of uncared for rodents. Um. I like I I really like Lawrence Fishburne though as a performer. So my my uncle Uncle Billy is a little more sort of down the down the lane of that archetype. But I think as a performer, like he can maneuver between very serious dramatic actor and very insane comedic actor. Okay. Uh, so I don't know which way this sort of modern Uncle Billy would be, but I ended up picking Stephen Root. Oh, love that for him. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's in everything, guys. Barry, Perry Mason, oh, I forgot Office Space. <laughs> um, get Out. Get Out. Wait, he's in Get Out? Yeah, he's the blind guy who, like, buys. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Wait, no, he's not. Yes, he is. They sit and, like, talk about it because he's that, like, the art. Painter? The painter? The, like, art guy who wants his eye. That's Stephen Root. No, 
I don't think so. I just watched that clip recently for work. I'm. I know I'm a hundred percent correct. <laughs> I'm gonna be. I want you to be correct. I'm flabbergasted. Okay, hang on. what year was Get Out? 2018, 2017, something like that. Holy shit! You're right. Wow. Wow. See? Veep. People know him from Veep. Uh, he's in. He's in fucking everything. Um. Yeah. I just. I just love Stephen Root. Like I think mm-hmm. he's he. He's just one of those character actors that can just do anything. Yeah. And I think is like, I think what's important for Uncle Bailey is like, we have to, we have to assume that he knows how to be, you know, financially responsible and yeah. a fiduciary, you know, advocate for people in this town. But also is just, you know, that family member who fucks up a lot and like, yeah. you can't do anything about it because you you know he's he's in the business he, he's you know family and um yeah i just i, I think he's just i think he's a great act i almost yeah. say he's a great guy like i know him personally <laughs> he's a cool dude i agree i think if you're looking for someone who can bring the drama and the comedy like he's he's great we'll watch him in anything all right, should we move on to Mr. Potter, played by yes. Lionel Barrymore? I meant to look up whether or not this had any relationship or, or relation to Drew? I think he does. Is he? Question mark. I don't know. Let's go to. It's got to, if it's in his trivia, it's got to be like the first thing. Lionel Barrymore had two children. <laughs> I think he had two daughters, so I don't think it's, I don't think it, I don't think they are related. I recently found out that- He is the great uncle of Drew Barrymore. Okay, okay. I recently found out there's an actress out there with the last name Rudd, and I was like, has, has the Rudd spawned? Has he, (laughs) has he made more immortals? But alas, they are not related. Mm, Does he have kids? Yeah, I think he has two kids. Two sons. I don't know why. I just don't imagine him as being part of a family. <laughs> I mean, he's the sexiest man of the year. I mean, he. Yeah, uh, that's why. Um. Okay, Mr. Potter. By all means, a horrific human being. Oh, an absolute piece um, of shit. Who still haunts us today in many ways? Let's eat the rich, guys. Let's do this. This. <laughs> I just flashed back to the red the Hollywood and the Red Scare and just being like, the FBI is going to be at my door in any minute. Just <laughs> time um, is a flat circle. Yeah, I it, it's so fascinating to try to understand Mr. Potter's <sighs> raison d'etre. Good word. Like, when we see Pottersville in the time when George does not exist, Mr. Potter wanted to turn the town into- A gambling like den. Like Reno? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think that was confusing to me because it seems like he would just more want to like own, th- like I see him being more of like, the town is full of these like slums because he is a slumlord who has a lot of money that he's keeping and not investing in his properties and like, 
that seems to make more sense with who he is. But then when there's like girls, girls, girls signs everywhere, when he's like rushing through this town, he doesn't see, I'm like, oh, interesting. I didn't expect that from him. Well, I wonder if it's sort of like a process, like it's a leap of logic in a way, because like, yeah, his, his whole thing is like, he wants to own everything in Bedford Falls. Mm -hmm. He wants to own all the means of like, of, uh, I, I mean, I, I think he's just, just trying to buy up all the property mm -hmm. and then become the derelict landlord for everybody. So I, I always assumed that it was just like, he buys this place, he builds shitty things. No one wants to live there or they're just squalling away. And so the only businesses that will move in there are the sort of like the mm. underground bars, like, the seedy establishments. establishments because yeah, yeah, they're the yeah. only ones willing to pay the rent and therefore the more like family oriented uh, population just moves out. But it is a leap to be like, it, it does like visually is like, well, I got my town. <laughs> Let's bring in the go-go dancers. Uh, and you're like, what? Um, in his very old fashioned very, wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very like, Biff in Back to the Future 2 turning Hill Valley into like Biff's world, which is right. which was basically <laughs> like a carbon copy of Trump turning Atlantic City into like Trump tr world, Trump world, <laughs> which this is so off topic, but was a really great Anthony Bourdain episode where he goes to Atlantic oh, City and talks to all the people that live there. And they're like, we hate this motherfucker. And we hope one day Atlantic City will like come back and be the place it used to be, which mm. was like family, like and tourists right. and like, you know, not just like this shitty crumbling Trump casino. Like pseudo Where like Vegas. homeless people yeah. like have taken over. Anyways, Mr. <laughs> Potter, I, I uh, this might be a, a stretch, but I ended up picking Billy Bob Thornton. Not a stretch. I feel like there is a sleaze to him where I could see him just being like playing that character of like, I mean, I could always give you the money and just take mm -hmm. over your business and mm -hmm. like you just say the word. Also, it brings to mind when speaking of Christmas movies, it brings to mind Love Actually where Billy Bob Thornton plays a president who like feels up the prime minister's assistant and is like a total dick and she has to quit her job and i thought you were gonna say the the christmas movie bad santa where he plays a completely mm. piece of shit santa claus never seen it <laughs> never heard about it <laughs> uh yeah that i i agree it's like i first of all i mr potter doesn't have to be in a in a wheelchair i i don't understand why that was necessary for his character but um I do think that like, and I hope I'm, I, if you pick this person, it's totally fine. But like the instinct is to be like Brian Cox on mm -hmm. succession. Right. Yeah. But I felt like with Billy Bob, like he's someone where some people might actually like him. Like th there's a duplicity in mm. a lot of the people that he plays where you're like, oh, I, I think he's okay. I think he's like a good guy. But like underhanded in, in, in a way where he's just like, oh, I own your whole life. Like I own your yeah. house. 
you owe me your life insurance policy. You owe me, you're going to work for me and wherever I tell you to work and you're never going to leave this place because, you know, the juice is running, dog. Like you got to, you got to pay me back or I'll fucking break your legs. Like, I I just sort of love that idea where he was, he's going to play maybe a little more nuanced Potter. You misplaced $8,000. Yes, sir. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I, I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're going to believe that one. What have you been doing, George? Um, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir, no, sir, I haven't. Oh, is it a woman, then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but why did you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting. I did the uninteresting thing and cast Brian Cox. Which is <laughs> totally fine. He's an, he's a tremendous fucking actor. I mean, I did I did finish casting this immediately after i watched this week's i haven't watched this week's succession and but it's man, is this so good <sighs> and i just i think but i think i want to see more because brian cox has like been playing the curmudgeonly old man for a while and i think it would just be interesting to get a snippet of him in that final moment where like the whole town is showing up, like maybe there is some redemption. Like maybe we do see him be like, hey, I I can't do this anymore. Like I had your money and I just want to return it to you. Like maybe we see some sort of redemptive quality to him in the end that honestly like feels like it's on to- in tone and in step with the movie. Like everything is essentially like, Hey, like things are actually looking up even when they don't seem like they are. He just kicks the he just kicks the envelope under the door of the bank and loan and walks away. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, like just something that makes it a little I don't know. Closure. You want closure on let's, Potter. Yeah. He let's see our like it. let's see our like bad guy have a conscience. Like it's Christmas. Uh here's a pitch. Okay. Potter keeps the money elsewhere in town. The whole town's arriving, celebrating George. Couldn't be happier. Harry shows up to my brother, the richest man in town. Everyone's tearing up. I'm crying. And then we cut to Potter, bah humbugging his way to his house. Mm -hmm. And who's there but Clarence? And he's like, tonight, you are going to be visited by three (laughs) ghosts. Yeah? No? Just me? Just my love of a Christmas carol? Okay. I was going to say, it's a little mixed <laughs> mixed messaging with the Christmas movies. But I, I think you're right. Like, there is something to giving him a second just to not be a complete horrible monster that, I don't know, like, fits in. Like, get, yeah, give him a second where, like, he, he has, like, a little note or something from someone who just, like, I don't know. Like maybe Uncle Billy like comes to his senses and is like oh, Potter and, and like burns confronts his house down. <laughs> and like confronts him and is like, Hey, I know you have that money. But also, we don't need it. And I just want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a happy new year. And, and Potter's like, Oh my gosh. Nice. 
I'm so hor. I mean, he wouldn't. He probably wouldn't. But yeah, I think yeah, I agree. There needs to be something for Potter to resolve, or he just like dies. <laughs> <laughs> there is resolution in that. Uh, yeah, he dies and he has no heirs, so it's just like left to the town. The town just takes it, and it's like, guess what, everyone? Like Bedford Falls is going to be a okay, and George, you can go. Do whatever you want to do. Maybe he leaves his business to, to George. George Bailey because George is the only smart human being in town, apparently. <laughs> He's the only one who could do anything. Everybody comes to give him money because they're like, he changed my tire. He put up a <laughs> shelf. Like, <laughs> um, Okay. Oh, that's it. That's it for our cast. But we got one more. Our beloved Barry Pepper. Guys, where does Barry Pepper go? Where'd you put him? I picked Bert. The cop? Yeah. I picked Mr. Carter, the bank adjuster. Oh, okay, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I saw the cop there, and I was like... <laughs> you swerved. <laughs> swerved. I don't know. I I just saw I saw him more as like the, the financial FDIC agent mm. coming in. Um, but yeah, some some sort of authority. Right. Um, I also just really liked that Bert is friends with Ernie, the taxi guy. How could that and not it's have Bert and Ernie? How could that not have been the reason for Bert and Ernie? That they Muppets? named them Bert and Ernie. I tried to look that up, and everyone's just like, apparently not. Apparently, is just it's a, a weird random coincidence. coincidence. Um, yeah, Bert and Ernie were great. A lot of sort of like great supporting characters. I've I felt like Joy got the short end of the stick, like. She was gonna leave town. Violet. Yeah. What? What am I calling her? Joy. joy. Who's Joy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Violet. Yeah. Uh, -huh. uh, thirsty Violet. Really, really. I I don't understand how George, you know, stayed so straight and narrow in his younger days. With like, I don't get it. But anyways. <laughs> She's like, I want to get out. I want to go to New York. I can't live in this town anymore. And George is like, here's some cash. Good luck. Mm -hmm. See you around. And then at the end, she's like, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it, George. <laughs> okay, bye. But it also, What's going on? It also weirdly makes sense in the way that, like, for her, I think there is this weirdness in town of, like, do I have a place here? Like, I did a, maybe, like, I... I talked a big talk at some point, but like, I'm not going to like get married, settle down. Do, like, that's not me. Maybe there is something like that in there where eventually she's just, she also realizes like, I will be a, such a small fish in New York that it's like, maybe Bedford Falls like is, it's just where I got to be. It's maybe it's just really sad. <laughs> that's what I'm saying is like, it, it was the storyline that really bummed me out. You know what I mean? It's like... But also, I mean, I'm assuming Mary is not checking their accounts, but I would 100%... Like, I hope he told her what was happening before no she way. rolled up with money being like, decided not to take your cash, bud. There is no way George told Mary anything. Did you see him come home? And she's like, hi, how are you? And I was like shaking and he's like... I would be giving him a look like, who'd you give our... Who'd you give our very limited... Amounts of cash to? To do what? 
There's only also there's only two girls in this town apparently, so like oh, you know yeah, that yeah. there are tribals this entire time. So like that's also <laughs> not kosher, George. Oh, uh, I also felt so sorry for like like Annie, his like childhood like made caretaker. Like there's a couple of black characters that come in to give George oh, their money, yeah. and I kind of wanted to be like, don't do that. Don't do, like I <laughs> like show up, appreciate George maybe if you feel it, but don't give him your money. She says, I was saving this for a divorce on the off chance I was going to get married. But because I had to serve you as a maid for your entire life, that never happened. So you can have it anyway. She had she had some lines though. Like there's a point when we first meet her and the boys are like having dinner with their parents for the last time. And she's like, All children should be girls. And then the mom is like, well, you know, if that happened and then like stop mid sentence because she was going to say something very sexual. And you're like, yeah, we don't need. Yeah, don't no, need mom, mom because Bailey. apparently and this is one of those like weird like um, pre. Uh, what do they call it? Like before the MPAA was a thing, like the censorship that happened, there was a point where like, I guess when he and Mary, when George and Mary kissed for the first time, it was like so passionate that like they literally had to like cut them off because they're like they won't let us put that in which is so funny because there's not as much kissing in movies like this as there is nuzzling and it's like passionate oh, nuzzling yeah. like first here's the steps to kiss like an like a an classic old movie fashioned yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> shake your head to a point where you think it might fall off Right, close then, mouth mushing and just step two, mush shake. your fucking cheek and side <laughs> mouth into their face, but to the side and yep. just, and then grab their skull, yep, as if you were to crush it. <laughs> Moan the character's name, yep, like softly over and over, mm-hmm. and then just final step. Push your mouth yeah. onto theirs <laughs> until their head might snap back. It was. It's so what wild. It's is so going wild. on here. Um, can we talk about Mr. Gower, the murderer? Mr. Gower. The druggist. Oh yeah. He sh- still should have gone to jail. Yeah, because he, he's George. like drunk on the job, too. He's drunk on the job. He's emotionally unfit to do to be around harsh chemicals. He literally <laughs> put a substance marked poison into pill capsules. Mm-hmm. He walloped a child, just walloped him. Which, according to the trivia, really, really happened. happened. And he was really drunk. When he like caused this kid to bleed, bleed. he hit yeah. him so hard. Anywho, um, <laughs> cut was, to the there next was scene. No, like teacher, Mr. On... Mr. yeah, Mr. Gower's just walking around, still doing his thing. <laughs> I don't know. That guy needed to be put away. Um, I don't have anything else from this movie. Um, I have this weird piece of trivia that I was going to say, but it's not really that important. Oh, I I picked out my favorite piece of trivia because it's truly wild. Okay. 
In one of the original drafts of the script, the character Mr. Potter didn't exist. Instead, George was shown a reality in which he became a powerful and corrupt politician. The climax of that film was quite different as well, as good George Bailey fought this evil doppelganger as a a battle that resulted in the death of evil George Bailey when he was thrown from the bridge. So much better ending. It's <laughs> such a better ending. There's no lessons learned. He no. physically destroys the evil part of him. It's absolutely incredible. It's like, uh, I don't know if you watch What If, but it's like good Doctor Strange battling. Doc, dark Doctor Strange. Yeah. It, 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 oh, man. That would have been so incredible. <laughs> Like, what is dark George Bailey? But that's the thing. That wasn't like his dream. He wasn't like, I can't wait to be a, like a right. like a money hoard. He was like, I want to be an architect. I want to go travel the world. Like, I want to be an adventurer. Which Jimmy Stewart was. He went to yeah. Princeton. Yeah. He also knew how to design buildings, right? He was like, he went to like, he got a degree in architecture. Or, also, or... apparently, I don't know if you've listened to Unspooled, the podcast is with like um Paul Shear and Amy I don't listen to podcasts. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> um a podcast is so they they talk about like the a I think AFI top uh-huh. like going or going through like a list of movies. And I feel like they've talked about Jimmy Stewart enough and one of the big details that they've like exposed about his life is that apparently he was getting it in. Like <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't get married until like later in life because he was playing the field hard. Oh, man, okay, okay, not <laughs> what I was expecting to hear about old Jimmy Stewart. I mean, America's you, dad. But when you think about old Hollywood and how insane it was, and all the drugs people were doing, and pills that they didn't even know what they were, and everybody was drunk. Like Jimmy Stewart was like, "I'm a movie." He was Leonardo DiCaprio at being like, "I'm a movie star." Yeah, totally. I mean, everyone kind of compares Tom Hanks to him because he has that sort of every every man kind of charm. Mm-hmm. But like what you just said would be like, did you know Tom <laughs> Hanks has fucked every movie star? <laughs> like every female cast member he's ever been in a movie with, he slept with all of them. Slept with every one of them. Mm-hmm. Him and Rob Reiner fucked them all together. <laughs> That's like sort of the level of shock that I've just been given. Um, I just realized I forgot to read the rundown of who was actually in this movie, but I don't think people care. Eh, um, you, you get it. <laughs> you know what we're doing. Uh, would you remake this movie? Realistically, no, I would not touch it because it is beloved in a very special, specific way. Also, two hour long Christmas movies truly only existed in like the 40s. <laughs> so Because there was only three movies at the time. Right. <laughs> You went you went on vacation to the movies. But I I do think there is a world in which a very acceptable remake exists. I'm just not sure we should do it. Yeah, I'm going to say no. I'm like I would say like do a play of this very same movie. Do an, an original like woe is me my life is bad let me mm-hmm. show you what it would be without you don't call it it's a wonderful life yeah do, do a do a different thing also because now i feel like every time i have heard or seen 
the words it's a wonderful life i hear ace of bass in my head i I don't get this reference (laughs) whatsoever as a child i made it a point to stay away from ace of bass because of that song like it just drove me nuts because of beautiful life no i saw the sign isn't that ace of bass that is ace of bass yeah but it's not because like the song is like it's a beautiful life that is that's Ace of Base. Yes, oh, in okay. my head, I hear it's a wonderful <laughs> life. Oh, oh. Uh, well, with that, uh, I think we're out of here. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of Rebooted. If you like this episode, please check out our past episodes. We have at least a hundred of them. A hundred and fourteen others. That's right. Um, check out our future episodes. We have another one lined up for you for 2021 before we roll back into 2022. So uh, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your pets, tell your dentist, tell your arch enemies. Kenna, where can people find us? You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, um, Spotify now, or wherever you get your podcasts. People got weird apps out there. Um, you can also follow us on social media at rebooted pod both twitter and instagram and and i promise i'll post something about this (laughs) (laughs) are you in charge or are we jointly in charge i I don't know i just i've really dropped the ball listen guys we are looking for a podcast intern (laughs) that we can abuse uh sound engineering background a huge plus yeah you have to have gone to the same school as the little girl in this movie that teaches that um, when bells ring, angels get their wings. Oh, we never talked about the teachers. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh well, that's for another time. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll... Teachers are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Right. That's right. Had a boy, Clarence.